in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Through him all things were made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Well, good morning, church. Wasn't that so encouraging to hear from Grace today? I loved it. I loved the truth. I loved the vulnerability, the honesty. And uh, we just are thankful that God is a faithful God. I, uh, I was going to pray in a moment. Before that, I want to welcome those who are joining us online. Welcome to church. It's so good that each week uh, we can be a presence in living rooms. And I know for a fact that last weekend we reached a couple of suburbs in Melbourne. Uh, there was a birthday of my eldest daughter. And uh, today is my son's birthday. So a shout out to you, Dave. We are thankful that uh, technology allows us to worship. As I pray, I want to be on your behalf and so let's do it together, praying for Christians around the globe and particularly in Afghanistan and particularly in other states so that we are part of this army that God puts together to be together in Jesus' name. So Father, we, we lift our eyes to you in heaven. We are so glad that you are here and present with us through your Holy Spirit, that you are everywhere all of the time. Your omnipresence allows you to speak into environments that we know little about. And so, Lord God, would you please rest, comfort and abide with Christians throughout the globe that are struggling with different persecutions, with different affirmities. COVID-19 is so different in our country to others and our understanding of it could just be limited. And so, Father, we pray that you will uh, guide and direct leaders in foreign countries as you guide and direct leaders in our country. Lord, would you give wisdom to those who have to make difficult decisions all of the time. And Father, would you enable those who have a sense of righteousness to speak into the environment. And Lord, we pray particularly for Christians and for people in Afghanistan. We know that that uh, Taliban regime has a different agenda. And we, Father, plead on their behalf that you will intervene. Lord, that you will send help 
and that righteousness would prevail. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. Well, I do want to say that Jesus Christ, the Lord and Saviour, is the answer in our world today. If you uh, have your Bibles, would you go to John 11, please? And we're starting in verse 45. There's been a discourse. This is after uh, Lazarus has been raised from the dead. He's been dead for four days. There's a smelly environment. And Jesus removes the odour. And uh, as a result of some discussion around that, we have verse 45. And many of the Jews had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did. They believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here's this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans are going to come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them said, uh, who was Caiaphas actually, the, the high priest. He spoke up, you know nothing at all. You do not realise that it's better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. This is very prophetic. He didn't say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to kill him. If you walk through the narrow streets of the old city of Jerusalem, or you could say the same in the alleys of the Grand Bazaar in Istanbul, the many Asian markets around this part of the world, there seems to be, I be I, my observation is this, this rivalry or competition of sorts uh, amongst uh, traders, uh, shop store owners. There's a competition for custom. Uh, everybody needs to make a living. And so many of these store owners are selling the same things and often uh, within a metre or two of each other. It's, it would be hard to enforce a 1.5 COVID ruling in the old city of Jerusalem, let me tell you. And I might imagine that when one gets a sale, they might look across at the other and kind of smile sideways or, or maybe scowl. Anyway, I, I want to create a scenario and just kind of work with me for illustration purposes only, all right? So one night, an angel appears to one of them and says, I'll give you anything you ask, but whatever you get, the person on the other side of the street is going to get double. You can be as rich as you can imagine with, with this option. But the person on the other side will be twice as rich. Maybe you'd ask for a long and healthy life. You'll get it. 
but the other person's life will be longer and healthier. So what would you like? And the man scowled, thought for a moment, and then he said, I have it. Make me blind in one eye. kind of illustrates the attitude of the Pharisees and the Sadducees because when they heard about the resurrection of Lazarus they just couldn't stand for it they looked at the popularity meter and Jesus was way up the scale Jesus had spiritual credibility that they didn't have and whilst it's kind of not the same it's a little similar to what we're experiencing today in the midst of a national health crisis. Uh, it's so much less, if you think of it in terms of the global health crisis, Australia from the beginning has really done relatively well. Even our out-of-control numbers in New South Wales this present day uh, is, is so much sweeter if you're living in some other countries. We live on an island and national leaders are meeting behind closed doors and then making public statements, doing their very best in the context. And so many of our national and state leaders are consumed by how to solve this and now. Our scripture today has a question within it. But when you read it, you might just find it's the most important question asked in John's gospel or any of the gospel narratives. In fact, it might be the biggest question of all time. How the Jewish leaders answer this will change human history. They asked in the middle of verse 47, what are we to do? And today, all across our country, politicians and health officers and lots of business owners and households are asking, what are we to do? And the chief priests and the Pharisees were familiar with the ministry of Jesus. Some of them were looking on when blind Bartimaeus cried out, son of David, have mercy on me. Uh, you see, the chief priests and the Pharisees knew that the son of David was a messianic term. That was a title. One person could have it. And they knew healing of a blind person was an activity of the Messiah that was going to happen, a messianic sign. But they chose to ignore it. They made a choice that day. What are we to do? Well, we're not going to do that. We're not going to believe. When John's writing his gospel, he selects eight sign miracles out of the life of Jesus to show us that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. In uh, John chapter 2, he turns water into wine. He is the answer. And the evidence for Jesus' authenticity as the Messiah had totally stacked up. Pile, file, pile, file. So much evidence. There's so much to reveal the perfect nature of Jesus in John's account so far. When we get to chapter 11, 
So much has already happened. There's a whole lot yet going to happen. But the truth is the evidence was there. But these religious leaders are avoiding the inevitable. I, I just want to track it. Chapter 4, Jesus heals a nobleman's son. In chapter 5, Jesus heals a man who'd been arriving unwell beside the pool of Bethesda for a very long time. And Jesus eradicates permanently his long-term chronic disease. Healing is healing, yeah? In chapter 6, Jesus' miracle of loaves and fishes, feeding 5,000 men, it says. How many people? In chapter 6, again, we see Jesus walking on the water and calming the sea. And in chapter 9, a few weeks ago, at the end of July, we looked at Jesus is the healer. He is the miracle-working healer of God, healing the man born blind. And in chapter 11 last week, we saw Jesus' compassion in his interaction with Mary and Martha. And of course, he raises Lazarus from the dead to new life. And in John 20... Jesus' earthly story would have an amazing climax with his total and complete victory over death and his own eternal resurrection. Isn't that beautiful? Just kind of, as we're tracking this, just soak that in. Jesus is the answer. In chapter 20, we're presented with the empty tomb. The life, the death, the resurrection. Resurrection to eternal life, even different from Lazarus. Lazarus was given a new life. But at that point, he would just once again die at a given time. But when Jesus rose, he rose to eternal life. And he provided life, having defeated death for all who would believe. Jesus is Messiah. He is Saviour. He is Lord. He is the answer. You know, I actually believe we need to stay contemporary with our music. I'm deeply thankful for the talented and gifted leaders and musicians that we have. What, what a wonderful lead we had today. Isn't it good to worship together? It's so many wow moments in all of that. And the supporting gifts that allow us to do what we do. You know, the people who sit on the desk each week. We have such creativity. Thank you for sharing your creative gifts with us, all of you. But I also recognise the great lyrics uh, in songs that we don't sing as often. You know, the... Hillsong breaking into the 90s and, and 2000s and uh, lots of songs. We, we sing some of them, but then lots of songs from an era way before then. I remember the hymn, He Lives, He Lives. You know, it starts off, I serve a risen saviour. He's in the world today. And there's a part there that you ask me how I know he lives. Finish it for me. He lives within my heart. Many of you will remember the, that hymn. And all our songs need to tell the truth, right? 
They, they need to be the truth that we experience and the creativity allows us maybe to vocalise, to shout out, to make real the things that we hold deep in our heart. Here's the thing. The chief priests and Pharisees ignore all the evidence and they don't acknowledge the facts that are right before them. They have their preconceived idea and they're unwilling to look at God's revelation in the person of Jesus. And tragically, in my mind as I look at it, as I study it, unbelievably, they make a decision to kill the Lord Jesus Christ in the context of all that evidence. They set about making their plans. So if, if we were there, come again with me, just work with me for a minute. What do you reckon you'd be thinking? And, and maybe it goes something like, hey, Pharisee, have you thought about what's actually happening here? Have you considered that Jesus, this person that you're accusing, has the power to raise a dead man who'd been dead for four days back to a strong and obviously miraculous life? Have you looked at the facts? Hey, Mr. Pharisee. Hey, Mr. Chief Priest. Have you seen what we have all seen? Have you thought that he might have direct access to the power, authority and grace, a messianic presence and a greater power than you. And I want to take us to this reality. I, I wonder whether we would have been a part of the crowd a couple of weeks later. Inviting the Messiah to come in and then disappointed that he didn't come the way we wanted him to and then shouting, crucify him. I just wonder, why did it happen? I believe there's a pretty simple explanation as to why the religious leaders ignored Jesus' sovereignty and then so many kind of normal, ordinary, everyday people did the same. They were blinded to the truth. And here's warning. Warning one, warning thousand and forty, warning two billion. And it's right here in the most fundamental work of the devil and his angels. These leaders are simply not able to grasp simple facts that are right in front of them. The truth of Jesus is hidden from them. It's still the same today. So many people struggle to see or determine what many of us see clearly. I had the amazing opportunity when I was a, a much younger man to go to sea with my father-in-law. Uh, Tracy's dad was what others may call a crazy man of the sea. Um, I remember the kind of slang uh, sea dog was a description of uh, Ted, my father-in-law. He knew the sea, he grew up with it, uh, part of a family of professional fishermen had a strong appreciation for the power of the sea and I strangely felt safe when I went to sea with Ted and I trusted his judgment when we did go to sea and one day with 35 kilometres or so offshore on the reef in relatively calm waters, we'd got significantly wet getting out there but where we were fishing, relatively calm, 
in a 15-foot de Havilland punt. And some of you are thinking, well, that explains a lot about Gary. <laughs> but I didn't know any better. I trusted him. So many illustrations in that story, right? But the one I'm going to use today is that there's a lot of glare on the water, especially when you can't see the land. And we're hauling in some big red emperor and snapper. It was a good day out. And as we got the fish closer to the surface, you know, you kind of, you drop the weight down so many, feels like kilometres really, but it's 100 feet down maybe. And then, you know, you pull that thing up, it's heavy, and you might have two of them on, and up it comes, and then very little weight. Only the fish head comes up out of the water. So something is taking your dinner. Potentially your dinner for the next few months. But you can't see what's happening under the surface. And then you simply put on sunglasses. And wow, there's a much bigger fish lurking just under the boat that's a lit, little bit or a whole lot smarter than you are. There were several sharks just taking our catch as we got them up. We're doing all the work and they're enjoying dinner. You know, sometimes people can't see clearly what's happening until they put on spiritual glasses. There's a whole lot of stuff happening and you just can't see it until you look through the lens that God has designed for you to see what you need to see. Maybe one of our prayers for friends and family is for them to see Jesus clearly, for them to have spiritual eyes to see. And for the Pharisees here, their pride and their prejudice became something like a haze. They needed polarised sunglasses. But they even then were unwilling to put them on. Unwilling, with no desire to see clearly. God was revealing himself to them, but they refused to take action to see. Put on the glasses, everyone, won't you? Put on the glasses. Put down your pride and see Jesus. The truth is right in front of us. These leaders only allowed in those facts that aligned with their theological, their political, their social ideas and values. They only allowed in the stuff they could control. And as bad as their pride and prejudice was, their own self-interest was much, much stronger. Watching out for number one at the expense of the people they were to serve. It's clear from the statement the high priest makes to the council in verse 48. He says, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. That's an interesting insight, isn't it? And the Romans are going to come and take away all our place and our nation. You see, the high priest is talking 
He has massive positional power in this society. He's the top of the tree. His place was a very lucrative position and he wants to guard that at all cost. And I've been to the place they believe is the actual site of Caiaphas' house. It looks over the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives. And to the left is the city of Jerusalem. And he would have a short walk uh, with the, the Kidron Valley to his right uh, down to the temple. Massive structure. But his house was pinnacle on the top of a rock escarpment that looks out over the valley and across. He had a bit to lose. Palatial in its time. They all had a lot to lose politically and economically. They had all done pretty well under Roman occupation. And they wanted to keep their positions as well. And in verses 51, 52, the high priest has some pertinent and prophetic words. As high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. Jesus would indeed die for the sin of the nation. Not only the nation but the sin of the whole world and what are we to do remains the question what are we to do we live in very different and fragile times Australia and actually the entire world is in this grip of a pandemic and it's making history it's changing social economic health and safety across the entire world everything seems different we're bombarded with information and misinformation about the crisis. Remember, not too long ago, we had the option, okay, the option. Not everybody could do it. Uh, financially, not everyone could do it. But you could jump on a plane, go down to Brisbane, jump on another plane, fly to Istanbul and go to the market. Yeah? Remember that? Well, you just can't. Everything's different. Information, misinformation, different ideas about how best to combat. And the question is, what are we to do? And as Christians, we have the answer. The answer is Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is with us always. And it really is irrelevant how uh, people and society might become fractured. It's irrelevant because Jesus Christ is both Lord and Saviour and will be for eternity. So there's stuff that happens, but Jesus is the answer. Now and always. And you ask, uh, how is Jesus the answer? Well, the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. The New Testament calls the Holy Spirit the helper and the spirit of truth. And look at this from John 16, 13. When the spirit of truth comes, and wow, he has come. Yeah? 
He has come. He, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth and he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So we need to take heart that we are not alone. We have the answer who is Jesus the Lord and we have a helper, a spirit of truth who will guide us into all truth not limited to theological truth, not limited to doctrinal truth. He, the Holy Spirit, can and will guide us into all truth for all circumstances. You ever been in a situation where you felt like (laughs) if there isn't a God intervention soon, uh, this isn't looking good. I was a director um, of the Scripture Union surf camp it was a few years ago, and I had a lot of uh, PA and music equipment on the trailer, uh, my old trailer that was behind my car. So all of a sudden, the left wheel suddenly ran off and into the bush. You know, it's a little um, disconcerting when you, you kind of feel a little jerk, just a tiny little thing in the steering wheel, but you look into your left rear mirror and you see the wheel just going. It travelled. That was a long walk to retrieve that thing. What are we going to do? It's real life. There's a moment right there. And the frustrating thing was we could see the Caloundra overpass off-ramp just a kilometre ahead. We're nearly there, but that's not good enough. It's not close enough. I can't remember, but I think we would have prayed something like, Lord, what are we going to do? Uh, We hadn't been there long when I'm just standing on the side of the road and one of the camp leaders goes past in his car. Shows, um, I think there was a hand wave or something and we saw them go up and over that overpass and we just, Lord, I want to see it come back the other way. Surely they know we're in trouble. Long story short, they did come back the other way. They had to drive kilometres until they could get an off-ramp to actually come back. And uh, we just needed some wheel nuts, effectively. And they went to Caloundra Wreckers, got some wheel nuts, came back, trailer went to surf camp, PA all got set up. A God moment, yeah? Sometimes things just happen. They just happen. But God is sovereign and they happen for a reason. We weren't expecting anyone heading to camp for hours, but God had that sorted. Adam wanted to be there early. I've actually had several of those moments happen in my life. I'm sure some of you have had so many. We used that same trailer so many times after that. You see, Jesus is the answer all the time for all the things, everything. The Holy Spirit not only guides us as the spirit of truth into all truth, but he's also there to give us courage and assist us within this role of helper. John quotes Jesus as saying in John 14:1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And that's why Paul also could say to Timothy, 
For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. What are we to do? And here's my last question for today. What are you going to do with the answer? Let's pray. God, all through the gospel narrative, there are these uh, interactions, Jesus encounters. And Father, it's, it's no mistake that the high priest knew the truth and uh, even quoted the fact that he knew where this was heading. He just didn't want it for him. So Lord, I pray that we put clarity in our eyes. We allow you to give us a clean hands and a pure heart to see you clearly and to make our decisions that will affect us for eternity and allow us to have a positive effect on others. We pray in Jesus' name.